G'day, welcome along to another sermon from Good News Christian Church in Howrah, Tasmania, Australia. I'm Bernard Kane, I'm the pastor. Get in touch sometime at goodnewschristianchurch.org or why not come by one Sunday morning. For now, here's the sermon. Today we're resuming a series uh, that we began actually a couple of years ago, back in 2019, about this time of year. Uh, we started working our way through 1 Samuel um, from uh, chapter 1 through to chapter 7, uh, that was in 2019, expecting to return to that last year at around about this time of year, but of course COVID struck and uh, I and the session made some other plans, adapted our preaching calendar to take us in a bit of a different direction, which I think was the right thing to do under the circumstances, but what it means is for these coming couple of months, uh, God willing, we'll be working our way through, we'll be taking up a, a series that's now sort of laying cold for a couple of years, um, but it's a, a wonderful part of God's Word to get back into. So, um, if you're looking for something at the, at the present time for some inspiration as to what should I read for my daily Bible reading or whatever, you could do a lot worse than 1 Samuel and at least it would sort of key in with what we're doing here um, at church. So, may, may I encourage you in that. I'd like to, just before we pray and, and dive right into to 1 Samuel chapter 8, to try to orient us to where we are in God's Word, I'd like to just highlight that I think there's something strange about the elders of Israel and their request to Samuel at the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 8, uh, their request to Samuel the prophet, the judge, um, that he appoint a king in their land, give us a king, and by implication, uh, a king who is just and fair and who can't be bribed and who won't be bought, unlike your sons, by the way, Samuel. Uh, that seems to be part of the implication of verses 1 to 2 there. Uh, verse 5, what do they say? They're saying, give us a king who um, isn't already old and about to die, like you, Samuel. Um, verse 5, they said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow in your ways. Uh, give us a king to lead us, verse 6, which is a, a term lead that appears a bit later on. They're willing to follow someone. Uh, give us a king, verse 20, we want a king over us, then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us, there's lead us again, and to go out before us and fight our battles. Now, as we return to the book of Samuel, and I appreciate that most of us are coming to it cold, uh, it's going to take us a few weeks to really find our feet in it again and re-familiarise ourselves with it. Uh, I want to say, this demand for a king is strange. It is strange because they already have precisely what they are asking for. If what they want is a king who will lead them, who will fight for them, who will deliver justice in their midst, who will make their world safe for them, provide a future for them. Sounds a little bit like the election campaign in recent weeks, uh, doesn't it? Um, we'll just have a quick, a super quick look, actually, at 1 Samuel chapter 7. Turn back one page if you've got it there, 1 Samuel chapter 7. Have a look at verse, say, 3. We'll just pick a few verses from here. So, Samuel said to all the Israelites, so this is chapter 7, Verse 3, Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So, the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtoreths and served the Lord only. Come down to verse 10, 
Verse 10 of chapter 7, while Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day, the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a great panic that they were routed before the Israelites. Come down to verse 13. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued and they stopped invading Israel's territory. Throughout Samuel's lifetime, the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines. The towns from Ekron to Gath that the Philistines had captured from Israel were restored to Israel and Israel delivered the neighbouring territory from the hand of the Philistines and there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And in fact, if we went back one more chapter, just to rub it in, what we'd find is the Ark of the Covenant of God. Do you remember those stories? The Ark, so the Ark of the Covenant of God, this box um, that represents God in the world, we find that box, or rather God as represented by it, capable of disarming and defeating and dethroning all of Israel's enemies and their gods without a single Israelite soldier in the frame. My point is, they already had a king to fight for them, who was mighty in their interests, to deliver them and save them, to assure them of security into the future for them and for their children after them, do you see? So, friends, what exactly is going on in chapter 8? I think there is more than what lies on the surface. On the surface, they are looking for a leader who will give them the security in life that they crave there in their setting. And I think it's easy for us, from our sort of modern superiority, where we, at least in our setting, we don't sort of think in terms of Philistines and weapons and, 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 and cities and all of that sort of thing being taken, it's easy from our setting to condescendingly look back at their faithless pining. Why weren't they more faithful to the Lord? Uh, but as we think about the esteem with which we hold our uh, political leaders and the hopes that we have for them and the transformation for society and laws that we look for from them, maybe we're not so different. When our health insurance arrives in the post, do we ever wonder, why am I paying that? What am I looking for from that? Health insurance, car, house, boat, contents, whatever, why do I want that in my life? Life insurance, bike insurance, income protection insurance. Well, the genius of the, the federal government's initiative last year, the JobKeeper payments, which is insurance of a different kind, I suppose you'd say, which has doubtless been the saviour of many employees and many businesses. Uh, to whom do we look for security and a future in our lives? On whom does it really depend? Do you see? Uh, friends, the desire for stability and certainty, perhaps for self-sufficiency, for security in my life and for my family's future, these aren't ancient obsessions that we've grown out of. They remain, I think, in our hearts. They occupy our minds. They uh, direct our votes. They open our wallets. They absorb even the best of us. So let's pray as we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 8 and hear God's word to us. Our Heavenly Father, throughout history you have seen the twisting and the turning of the human heart and you are not surprised and you are not deceived even though at times we deceive ourselves. Father, may your word to us today in these ancient words from history 
reveal to us more clearly both our own hearts and also yours. And may Christ, our true King, become more real and more lovely in our eyes. Uh, May the, I guess you'd say, instruments of security and stability and certainty in this world, be they political or insurance or whatever they are, may they take their proper place in our lives. And may they find their proper place in our overarching worship and adoration and celebration of our reliable King Jesus. In his name we ask for your empowering please. Amen. Actually, I want to say that the, uh, the elders' request to Samuel to appoint a king, uh, it has a second weirdness about it. Could we have a look at this together? And I think we're supposed to see it and wonder at it and marvel at it and sort of, you know, pop our heads to the side and wonder what is going on there. Uh, in fact, I think the author wants us to admit to ourselves that when we are faced with a threat or a crisis in our lives, there lies within each of us the capacity a bias, a tendency to lean away from God, even if that means leaning toward things that we already know won't work. It's this tragic thing that we see unfolding in 1 Samuel chapter 8 and the first few verses. Let's have a look at it together. Uh, When Samuel grew old, 1 Samuel chapter 8 verse 1, Uh, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah and they served at Beersheba. Uh, But his sons did not follow in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Okay, so Samuel's old, that happens to all of us. Uh, And what is Israel to do? Samuel's old, so we think to ourselves, well, that sounds like a pretty good plan. We know Samuel, so how about Samuel appoint his sons to succeed him in his... It sounds like a good plan, right? Wrong, people, wrong. Let me show you why. Uh, Because if you turn back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, and notice we're in the same book, this isn't some obscure proverb tucked away in some other part of the Old Testament... Uh, This is like, it's not some distant memory, this is literally the family situation that Samuel grew up in. Samuel was raised by Eli and his family, uh, or the priest Eli, who served the Lord faithfully until he grew old. And uh, so, 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12, what was Eli to do when he grew old? 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 12, just jump down to verse 12. Eli's sons, so good old Eli, Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Come down to verse 17. This sin of the young men, as in Eli's scoundrel sons, this sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Come down to verse 22, just giving us a quick overview, you see. Verse 22, now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. And it goes on to verse 25, his sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. Do you see the pattern? Godly servant of the Lord grows old, He has two sons and he appoints them to succeed him and they go wayward. 
So what solution would you propose as Samuel ages and nears the end of his life? Do you see the kind of comic, tragic uh, situation here? I know, how about uh, some kind of system where the godly old man reaches the end of his life uh, and we bind ourselves, constrain ourselves, shackle ourselves to his sons and their leadership. That sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? Uh, let's go with that. Um, one, uh, a system, let's systematise this thing where um, a son gains power when the godly old man is, uh, is, uh, is gone. What could possibly go wrong? You know what we need? We need a king because that's what that system is called. Do you see the tragedy of it? So 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 4, we're in chapter 8 now. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you're old and your sons don't follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. And perhaps that's the most telling phrase of all, such as all the other nations have. Or as verse 20 puts it, like all the other nations. Give us a system, enshrine for us a leadership system where the sons get to take over from the godly fathers. Brothers and sisters, as readers, I think we are supposed to slap our foreheads at the stupidity of the people who seem so unaware that they walk so blindly into a trap that they ought to know so well, within living memory, twice over. But aren't we supposed to not so much slap our foreheads but weep for ourselves as we admit that the same impulse lies within each of us? The impulse to look not for the best leader that we can find, the best leadership over our lives, lordship over our lives that we can find, but to look rather for a life without God in the lead, even though we know that trap so very well. I think that's what we are to take from it. Will we admit that sickness and that stupidity and that sin lies within? Were they looking for a leader or were they looking for a life without God? As the saying goes, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. But I wonder, is it that they can't remember it or is it just that they don't want to? Perhaps the biggest surprise of our chapter uh, today isn't the people's stupidity uh, or their sin for that matter, it is the Lord's response, that is certainly the thing that sticks out to me, it is the, the thing that makes me shudder as I read this because doesn't it shock us, it's like a, a slow burn uh, kind of horror scene that unfolds in front of us in 1 Samuel chapter 8 because as viewers we can see how this is all going to play out uh, they don't see it, but they ought to have known better. And God, in His judgment and in His wisdom and in His strange justice here, He devises a punishment that so perfectly fits the crime uh, and yet is so awful all at once, namely this, He gives them precisely what they've asked for. And may I just boldly say, as, as we're about to read from verse 6, um, if there are perhaps dreams of ours, desires of ours, uh, fantasies or longings that we cling on to, which you know are driven by uh, greed or um, jealousy or lust or vanity or ego, in your own life I mean, what if God gave you precisely what you wanted? It's just possible, isn't it, that there is nothing worse in all the world than if He gave you that from verse 6, 
But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. I'm going to keep reading, but could you just look out for one word in the next paragraph, the word take from verse 10. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they'll run in front of his chariot. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys, he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flock and you yourselves will become his slaves. When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king that you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. And as we contemplate all that we long for and desire for, yearn for, uh, dream of, we tend to focus, don't we, on what we're going to get. Of course, that is what the longing is. We look forward to what it is that we're going to get. We tend not to think in terms of what it will take from us. May I be so bold as to say, I think when we shut God out of some area of our life and our dreams... Uh, and we start planning or acting or even spending or, or doing without reference to him. I, I think we do this game in our minds. We kind of imagine that, well, God must be oblivious to it all. He's not here because I've shut him out of that area of my mind and my life and my dreams and my future. He's not here to fight our battles literally, not literally. I can't see him. I, you know, I can see Philistines and Amorites or whatever, but I can't see God. In fact, I kind of don't want to just to blend the, our context and theirs. Here's the thing. The shape of this judgment on Israel at the time is this. If you long to shove God out of your life, then that may be precisely what you get. Not because he's not there. Not because he's not there. And not because he doesn't know precisely what you're up to. <laughs> he's known humankind since the very beginning. Much worse because he knows precisely what's going on and it's you who's the fool. Careful what you wish for. Heavy, isn't it? What a scene in these ancient pages of Israel. Thirdly, though, I've got a question for us. Would you say, right, from what we've seen so far, 1 Samuel chapter 8, would you say that 1 Samuel uh, is down on kingship? Um, after all, what we've just read, he will take, he will take, he will take. Uh, would you say that 1 Samuel chapter 8 is down on kingship? 
Uh, can I warn you, don't answer too quickly because I don't think the answer is obvious. There are absolutely two sides for this. On the one hand, of course it's down on kingship. Um, Samuel, they want a king. Well, fine. Uh, here's what I want you to do for them. Warn them, right? They want a king. Warn them. Of course it's down on kingship in a sense. Uh, verse 9, Samuel, uh, listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights, right? You don't warn a person unless you think something bad is about to happen to them, namely kingship. But isn't there another side to this? And to introduce that, I'd just like to read these words of Paul Visser. Um, He's a Dutch theologian, uh, he's a pastor, he lives in Uh, I understand ministers in Rotterdam at the present time uh, and I think we're going to start to see the connection here. So, Visser says this, he says, a common form of postmodern religiosity, right, you know, religion in in our present world, a common form of that is the vague and thin notion of a good God who is always intent on our good and our security without demanding anything in return except for what's decent. So, no repentance, no confession of sin, no forgiveness, no surrender, no obedience, no sanctification. Visser says, I have the feeling that people who call themselves Christians are also more inclined to treat God in this way. Sin also manifests itself in refusing to bow before God. We disarm Him, as it were. Uh, We are the boss and we allow Him entrance into our lives, but only for the satisfaction of our needs. In brief, God is not a God that reigns over us, but a God over whom we reign. Brothers and sisters, is 1 Samuel 8 down on kingship? Verse 7 says this, And the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, Samuel, but they have rejected me, God speaking. They have rejected me as their king. And viewed through that lens, the tragedy and the warning and the horror that unfolds is that you will give yourself, you will give your best, you will tolerate the taking of even your sons and daughters and your wealth and your treasures to a king who will just take them from you rather than giving your best and your all and all that he has given to the God who has given it all to you, do you see? The question is not, will you give your best and your life and your all? Oh, you will one way or another. The question is, will you give it to the one who is worthy of your worship or will you give it to a world that is greedy and will take and will leave you spent and hollow in the end? or holy and blessed as you give to the Lord. Verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then he will be, sorry, then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. And so the stage is set, brothers and sisters, for our series in 1 Samuel as we explore the appointment of Saul uh, in the uh, kingship of Israel in the chapters that come, in the weeks to come, in the months to come. 
uh, as God's people look for a leader other than the Lord and the Lord yet leads them that one one day they might again look for him. Um, Brothers and sisters, I began with a parallel in our political system and what we hope for and long for and look for from our leaders. I began with a parallel in our insurance and the pursuit of security and where we look and why we look um, at those things. Wouldn't we love to find certainty? Wouldn't we love to find certainty in our context that our bodies are going to work tomorrow, uh, the same as they work today, or perhaps more to the point, the same as they worked yesterday? Uh, Wouldn't we love to find certainty, confidence, confidence that my friends will admire and like me tomorrow the way that they did yesterday? Uh, that I don't need to walk on eggshells even around them and impress them each day afresh? Wouldn't we love to find a reason to believe that the world can never take from me what is precious to me, can never rob me of my joy and hold me down? Proactively, I think we look for uh, security and certainty uh, in our work. It's not all reactive. Uh, we, we look proactively for it in, in behaviour management methods, perhaps teachers amongst us in the classroom, maybe this will be the thing that allows me to be the teacher I can be, or frankly, amongst our own children. Uh, management techniques to secure outcomes from staff, uh, processes or models even, that will secure the outcomes that we want in our church life. Perhaps 1 Samuel chapter 8 provides us not just with a warning but also a way to measure ourselves, not just a warning against throwing our heart and soul behind like, you know, worldly assurances but it gives us this measure, is my king, uh, is the one to whom I will give my all, my heart and my best and my fullest, is he the Lord who gives and who is worthy of my all? Or am I giving myself and my life and my best and looking for my hope and my security from a world uh, that takes? I'd like to leave us with this uh, reading from John chapter 10, by contrast. Uh, Don't worry about turning there, John chapter 10. We could have gone to Acts chapter 2, gone back there, but let me read from John chapter 10 and then let's pray. Uh, Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Let's pray. Our Father God in heaven, we serve a King, we serve a God, we serve a a Lord who is worthy of our worship, who deserves but also demands our best and who desires that we may have life and have it to the full. What a wonder we have discovered in the Gospel, 
Father. Father, may we depart from our, our cultural bias toward treating you as a God over whom we reign. May we be wise to the true measure and certainty and security uh, that this world is capable of giving us and put those things in their proper place in our lives. May we wisely handle the things of this world and even more wisely perhaps learn to handle our own hearts and dreams and longings. God, we pray for those amongst our family and friends and perhaps even here today, those who are looking and searching and longing for some certainty and some substance in their lives and perhaps who have been hurt uh, along the way in their search for security. Lord God, may they find in Jesus the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Father, we each face very real threats in life. Uh, we trust that you are with us, that you fight for us, uh, that life to the full remains the intent of our King Jesus for us. And so in his name we pray.